Well, greetings from the team at Vendia, and welcome to Circles of Trust, a podcast for leaders across all industries committed to speeding up innovation at scale, making a profound and positive impact on business and the world. I'm your host, Tim Zonka, and we're about to dive into a conversation with longtime experts in the data space. Aaron Kelly, Senior Vice President of Enterprise Solutions and Strategy at Craft Analytics Group, and Francine Klein, Senior Solutions Architect at Vendia. In this episode, we'll talk about analytical and operational data, and Aaron and Francine share some some insights and dig into these two types of data and take a look at, are they on a collision course or not? And what does this mean for companies that rely on both types of data? All right, so let's jump into it. Aaron, Francine, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So excited. So it's been a while since the two of you worked together at Slalom. So tell us a little bit about uh, each of your backgrounds and what you're focused on now. Let's start with you, Erin. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in my role at Craft Analytics Group, uh, affectionately named Kager, uh, a little bit of a play on uh, compounded annual growth there, I lead all of our client-facing delivery uh, for both a strategic consulting arm as well as a data and analytics platform uh, perspective. So kind of live in the business tech data uh, intersection on a day-to-day basis. And we service at Kager, um, uh, we're across all major professional sports leagues and industry players. Um, So folks like NFL, uh, NASCAR, Amazon, and others we've worked with in terms of how to utilize data uh, to drive uh, great uh, fan experiences. Great, thanks. Francine, what about you? Uh, prior to joining Vendia, my career was uh, in consulting, and I was actually on Aaron's team in the data and analytics space, building out different uh, data strategies and really understanding where companies were with their data vision. I uh, then went and had done it myself at a company, and by doing so, really knew the uh, dichotomy between the operational and analytics data. And so by uh, stumbling upon Vendia and seeing that there's really a data fluidity problem and a data sharing problem, um, as well as this uh, separation of these worlds, uh, jumped over here to to make it real for our customers. And so my role is to understand how customers are doing data sharing today and, and really using operational analytics data and building uh, better solutions built on Vendia with that. You know, one of the things that I assume is really interesting if you're in your roles is that uh, you're working with customers all the time. And so I assume you that spans just a really broad spectrum of customer maturity around their dating sharing practices, where you know, some of them are really mature and doing impressive things and others, you know, they're, they have a lot to do to catch up. The opportunity is large for them. I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the most common uh, themes uh, that you see or, or kind of trends that you see across um, kind of those, those areas of maturity, depending on where they're on in their journey? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll grab this. And so the sports and entertainment industry is pretty interesting. I think in very in many aspects from a data and analytics perspective, it's uh, could be anywhere from five or 10 years behind some other industries like financial services, insurance, what have you there. Um, but it's pretty exciting uh, from both my experience prior to joining Kager um, with Francine at Slalom and other pieces like that to really help the organizations kind of climb up that maturity curve and ladder. And so we focus a lot on, you know, many sports and entertainment organizations are what we would call data laggard. So really at that, that bottom of that maturity curve and how do we actually get them over that initial chasm where organizations may have had an initial data platform, they have their operational systems in place, but they're not really connected and they're certainly not driving business value in those pieces there. And so as, as, as folks move up that 
um, kind of maturity curve there to more data pioneers. Like one of the big things for us that we're talking about all the time is that strategic application of data. So great, you've got the technology, you've got the process, you've got the integration in place. But are you thinking about the right ways and the use cases and the right time to be able to activate appropriately and, and really drive the value? Because at the end of the day, the, the, if the business value is not being achieved, then the investment in that tech data stack uh, really isn't, isn't going to get you where you need to be. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Francine? Any trends that are particularly impactful that you see across that spectrum? Yeah, and, and Aaron made some really good points around the fact that people have this mm-hmm. operational data for really targeted activities versus then using that for analytics and insights. And so how do you actually embed those insights into some of those workflows? And what's always really interesting is that the thing that's in those is it's all the same core entities, right? We're always talking about a fan or a customer or a product. And so the reason why these things become arduous is there's so many stops and starts in the capability of actually creating those data sets in the operational workflows, right? Create the new customer or create the product purchase versus the insights generated of that. But it's the same customer in those two things. And so how do you, you know, it's the stops and starts that make sure that those two customer lists are actually the same. And that's some of the crux of the issue that we see and where those two worlds really should be colliding. Yeah, 100%. I think one of my like more favorite buzzwords that are out there right now is really this data mesh, data fabric. Um, it's like the the buzzwords of the of the years past is around was around the the lake, the swamp, the lake house, everything water related. Now it's above the surface and more connected in terms of both fabric and mesh. And like, what does that really mean to be bringing analytical and operational data together to go do a action, deliver a great experience, drive a you know, a uh, competitive advantage for an organization. And I think there's there's folks are starting to aspire to some of those more seamless um, moments, which I think, you know, I think we're going to unpack those t- today here in terms of what that could look like at the edge of analytical and operational. But um, but again, you, you know, it's it's balancing out bet- between those those layers and then and trying to get them up to the to pioneer so that we can even talk about uh, the fashionista ter- terms of, of mesh and fabric and everything else like that. Well, I'd lo- you know to to help us get there, I'd love to have the two of you dig into, you know, you've both used the term operational and then analytical data, and so can you talk a little bit about to you and your customers what are what are those terms? What are the differences in those data types? And if you could provide some examples of each of what you see in your each of your customer bases, um, I think that would be really useful for our listeners to get a good appreciation of those different terms, especially what they mean to, to you and your customers. Um, so operational data, think of it as the events, right? The, the actual thing that happens in the workflow that you create the customer, right? You made the deal, you made the purchase. So for, a, a, for us, right, it's shopping online. We go and we click things. And so that information is is operational. And in that, from a data perspective, from a technical perspective, you actually need all the information about me and all the information about a product, right? I pull the product, the price, you know, comments, et cetera. And so from a data perspective, you can think of it's the full row for a single record. And translating that from an analytics perspective, you don't need all that information. You actually want to look at all, you want to sum up the calculations of price. You want to sum up the activity history for a single columns, but across lots of rows of data. And so that's really the crux of it at a core level is, you know, wide or long. Um, and then there's layers on top of that. My, um, you're, you're spot on there, Francine. Um, and I, I think 
one of my favorite statements around analytical data is it's used to make business decisions. It's it's like very crisp and clear there where at the operational level, you, it's transactional data to your point. It's recording at point in time what is happening in that specific business process or workflow or other pieces like that. And that's kind of the beauty of getting them closer together in terms of how do you use the information around the trends and the aggregate that is used to make business decisions and deliver that to the edge where operational transactions and other pieces are both triggered out to a consumer, an operator, or whatever, and then also collected. Is it fair in what you said to, you know, before we jump into, like, I'd love to hear some examples of each. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you teased out one, Francine, but I'd love to hear some examples of each. And But before we get there, is it fair, based on what you just said, to kind of assume that the decisions being made, you know, on the, let's say, on the analytical side, um, you know, you use some examples of like, there are people like looking at stuff saying, hey, we're going to make business decisions here. That's right. Whereas are the decisions being made on the operational data side, because they're transactional, kind of more made by computers, like show dynamic pricing based on these like mini decisions on the on the data while someone's, you know, looking at at the merchandise or what have you. Is, is that a fair assessment? That's a, a very good question. You actually picked up on something that where the analytics and operational worlds have started to merge a little bit, dynamic pricing. Um, and so, yes, right, it's the it's the workflow. Operations is that that immediate workflow of transactions, a, a deal booking, an invoice payment, right, a credit card swipe. Um, but dynamic pricing actually is the start of the operations and analytics world. And it is an example of the tip of the iceberg of what, like, really can happen. And so for that to happen, right, you have to actually look at some trends. And so you have to do analytics off of trend history. And so for that to have occurred, someone, some systems have to have taken tons of tons of operational data, put that into a warehouse, looked at some trends, and then therefore from those insights embedded that into that operational workflow. And so one of the things that's just started is that spot capability. And so analytics is embedded real time in operational workflow, but those insights are probably likely delayed. Right. It still is the massive amounts of stops and starts to get that information, generate those trends to then incorporate that. And that's, I think, what we're, Aaron and I are hitting at is um, those stops and starts don't shouldn't happen. Right. That can start going away with some more of these systems coming in place and the reconciliation that needs to happen to make sure that you can incorporate those insights in the right place to the right customer is where the need for the data fluidity is, where you need that aligned customer. You need that aligned product. Otherwise, you have all this transformation and logic that's really complex. But you're, but you're spot on, Tim, in terms of technology being the true enabler there. If you're feeding it with the right information and the right triggers and the right business rules and controls, then it really does become then a, a pretty great differentiator from an automated, efficient standpoint in terms of those, those true workflows that are hitting the operators, the customers, the products, the, 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 the things that matter and are driving the business on a day-to-day basis. You know, one of the, um, so from a, just some examples of analytics use cases. So we um, at Kager um, focus a lot on the fan experience. And to us, we think about the fan and kind of the overall fan funnel, whether that's acquisition, engagement, retention, um, or whatnot from, from that standpoint. And so, you know, some of like the, the interesting use cases that we're tackling on a day-to-day basis with many of our clients, um, you know, from an acquisition standpoint, it's really focused a lot on performance marketing or targeted campaigns. So is a team or a league talking to the right fan with the right product, product being ticket, retail, merch, engage, uh, engagement through the right channel? And how do we actually think about that on a day-to-day basis? And, you know, we have clients that have 
um, that have immediate tickets to sell for a game on Sunday. We also have clients that are sold out and are really focused on driving broader fan engagement. And so being able to use a combination of analytical data to understand and target and pull out those specific customers and then activate actions through any sort of digital channel, your more traditional of email, CRM, uh, sales sales call center type pieces, but also, you know, lots more digital channels that are coming online specifically in the in the sports and entertainment space. I think one of my more favorite examples that we're in the talks of right now is really around what happens in venue um, when, when fans come in. Um, and so how can, by the scan of your ticket when you're entering the venue, that you get um, identified that personalized, um, you know, uh, beverage offers or fan sweepstakes or other pieces like that can go out to the right person at the right time and deliver an awesome fan experience. So, I mean, it's like you think about, um, you know, how can you use data and data and analytical data and operations to drive memories? That's what we like to do on a day-to-day basis. And that's what we like to work with our clients on. And that's so, that's really interesting. So with that, the type of information that you guys have to pull, right, is not just operational in nature, but it's also the speed at which you have to embed the accurate information based off of if they've already done something, the analytics can't be delayed and it also has to be incorporated probably quite real time, right? You don't want to get them the recommended beverage when the, when the game is over. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, yeah, you're hitting exactly. We're we're constantly building up behaviors, trends, understanding who do you look like? Does the France Francine Klein going to prefer this yeah. hot dog or this hamburger or whatever? And even if you haven't purchased before, and you know, I think it's just it's really exciting in terms of the the power of the data and the information and the partnership between analytical and operational to do that in in a in a swift uh, fashion. And you know, that's where the you know, super cool terms like data mesh fabric and all these other things mm-hmm. that that um, venues and operators are thinking about kind of come come into play. Mm-hmm. And how can you actually create a, a more integrated ecosystem or business network, if you will, um, mm-hmm. to, to connect all those pieces? And actually pulling on that example even more, not to belabor this too much, but Right. Imagine you don't have information from the ops perspective and the analytics, but you keep recommending the same hot dog. Like I'm full. Like stop recommending that. I'm over it. Or right. Or you've, we recommended it too late because right, the game right. is over. You're not Joey, you, jo- Joey Chestnut. Right. Exactly. Like you got to update that stuff. Um, right. Or like you know the customer. Right. I'm Francine in one system and I'm spelled the wrong way in another. How do you know that that's that same that same Francine that you know something else about me because mm-hmm. I bought a shirt and therefore maybe I'm not going to eat a hot dog because that's going to get messy. Yeah, 100%. You know, one one other thing that's really interesting, and I'm sure it's inter- um, it's applicable to all businesses, but certainly in the sports space and certainly coming out of the pandemic is that the face of the sports fan has changed a lot. And so behaviors and trends and historical patterns that existed prior to the pandemic have really kind of gone out the window and new, the new normal or whatever we're calling it these days has been established. And, you know, there's an interesting element that you know, you have the operational data on what is the customer doing or the lookalike customer doing. But what we're also pulling in is a lot of different macro trends around consumer behavior, consumer spending more broadly, lots of economic, social pieces there. And like, how can you continue to learn more, inform more, get to a better set of actions at that operational layer through Mm -hmm. not only the data that you can collect on a day-to-day basis, but the information that you can enrich just with the world around us um, and, and you, know, you know, really try to push the innovation forward, which is kind of what we love to do. Yeah, I want to I touch on actually some of the data sources um, in just a moment. So thanks for, for bringing that up. Um, 
Before we do, Francine, I want to get your take on, on some examples. But Aaron, I, like, I love that example just because at least personally, uh, I've kind of seen some of this at play as, you know, my over the summer, um, I'm a Chicagoan. So like you grow up just loving baseball, I live out here in Portland, Oregon now, which doesn't have a baseball team. But we've fallen, my kids have fallen in love with the Seattle Mariners because I think they're an example of some a group doing such kind of compelling work and just kind of continuing to bring us back and, and give a great experience. So that really, that example really resonates with, with me. Francine, what about the kind of customers? I mean, you work with customers that do all sorts of stuff from, uh, you know, from, you know, auto manufacturers to, uh, you know, pet healthcare providers. I mean, so, so the examples are like extremely varied. Any favorites that really to you, you know, the examples of like kind of data or use case that that to you really highlight the you know some of the trends that you see happening in the market now Ooh. you're asking me to say a favorite of some of our customers tim <laughs> i think more just like you know example like you know you can you can uh leave out names or something but yeah. you, know, you know you're you see the kind of things that they're doing yeah and and it seems to span like a really broad breadth of of kinds of customers, I think is what's um, seems fascinating. Yeah, uh, one of the ones I'm going to pull on is is actually what I think might not be the most um, moving, but I think it's going to I think it's going to actually really simplify some of the things in which people might be pigeonholed in the wrong way. Um, and it's a it's a someone who's trying to build basically a ID graph based off of all different information. And so think of it as like a real-time accurate no-fly list based off of information from um, any anything you might do from credit card processing to your credit history to other places like your mortgage payments and so forth. And so right now, right, your credit score is quite delayed, right? It not only is delayed and it's really hard to argue with. And so say you want to, uh, oh my goodness, like refute something that's on your credit history report, you have to call this firm, you know, you have to call three different firms because they each have a report about you and who knows what kind of phone tree you're going to go through. And then you have to call each one of them. And if one of them has not updated it, right, they'll get the information from the other one and basically overwrite. And so you're stuck. You're basically stuck with this credit history that you might not agree with and say like, hold on, this is not right. This is inaccurate. Who knows what the reason is? And so they're trying to create this, um, it's, it's kind of like this no-fly list, but it's not a no-fly list. It's, it's everything, right? It's, it's your credit history. It's your payment history. It's all of these things in one. And you have insight into it and can real-time provide input to say, like, this is accurate. This is not. I want to argue this. And it goes immediately to each of the different parties that are using this information to generate their own scoring mechanism. And I think that will really kind of open up the opportunity for folks to not feel basically pigeonholed and, and labeled in a way that they feel like they don't have a way to fight against. Yeah, interesting. You know, in both of your examples, you touch on just this idea of, you know, kind of data sprawl. And I think it's it seems to be such a given where like there's no future where, you know, the data is not in more places across more stuff and, and looks, you know, hard, harder to access, harder to share. So I'd love to have the two of you touch on that. So what, what sorts of... Um, data, you know, like sources are common, uh, you know, kind of paint a picture of that because it seems like, you know, anytime you hear an example, it's like even way more varied than someone like me would have originally guessed. And it seems like therein lies the <laughs> some of the snafu and complexity. So I'd, lo I'd love to hear about some of these sources and what makes it hard to, to share that. Perfect. Yeah, I'll, I'll grab the ball first. Um, yeah, so yeah, so from a uh, what we see on a day to day basis. So 
with a lot of our clients, uh, kind of the, the top three so- sources. And again, we focus a lot on understanding the fan and, and the fan behaviors and the fan engagement. So the big sources for us coming in are the transactional layers, which are most common. Uh, ticketing is, is obviously up there in terms of how people are actually transacting and purchasing. Obviously, there's retail up there as well. The, the other pillar is that kind of more CRM, that traditional information around interactions and behaviors and calls and services and all that good stuff. And then the um, kind of that email marketing or whatever that engagement and touch point is. And that's that's where we start in terms of building up kind of that single view of a fan uh, through, throughout a variety of touch points. And then it gets really fun. And then it gets fun in terms of what else are they doing uh, in terms of both in an experience, but online, um, how are they interacting? What's the loyalty program? The other pieces like that. I think, you know, as sports organizations are, are innovating uh, pretty rapidly in terms of increasing the number of touch points they can have with said fan um, and and eyeballs and all those other things that are happening there. And you know, I think then, um, you know, we're talking a lot about even in that cookieless future, which is probably you know coming sooner than later. You know, how can um, sports organizations um, and industry players just just create that reach. So that could be anything from digital and and how do you transition or how do you convert the unknown to the known um, and and be able to figure out more patterns and behaviors from that standpoint. Um, you know, and then we then we focus a lot on kind of your more traditional uh, demographic appends and and additional information that we can pull in from a variety of places, but. You know, at the end of the day, we're living in the sports and entertainment space, and so it's really all around that ecosystem on how an organization is interacting with the fan, whether that's uh, initial acquisition or all the way through purchase, and then retention and loyalty from that perspective. Yeah, that's well, I, Aaron, what you had pointed out in that example is the thing that I keep thinking of is if you're talking about this fan. And you obviously want to augment their experience with different information, like operation analytics and data sources that you've talked about, whether that information is is still about the fan. And so it's touch points with them when the marketing system or touch points with them in calls or touch points with them in things that they've purchased. Right. So there's like a financial system and marketing yep. system, a support, you know, mm-hmm. support help system. Um, there's still that fan that some, you know, they're each disparate systems. And so they don't know that, you know, in system one, I might be, you know, Francine at Gmail and system mm-hmm. two, I'm, you know, Francine yeah. K. And one of these things from a data perspective that I just keep seeing no matter what is like getting back to basics of how do you actually know that this Francine is that Francine to actually create that unified vision? A hundred percent. It's actually like, as you were talking about that, it always seems to come back to the basics. So as much as the technology is continuing to evolve, if the guiding principles of the basics aren't there, then it's not going to be realized. And so it really does come back to an increased sophistication on it's one person. How do you connect all those informations? And when you do that right, that's when you can light up all the great, super great experiences. Um, but, you know, it's that balance of complexity, like the, the, the place where technology continues to move us is so exciting, but right. it's only as much as how much stitching and controls and other pieces that you can put in place um, to be able to capture that. You know, we, we talk a lot about just kind of change management and data. Like, I, I think that a lot of organizations have kind of nailed the nailed it on the head. And again, I've been in consulting for a long time prior to joining Kager. So I saw a lot of change management. I think, but when you think about change management from like an application or a process or even an org structure standpoint, I think organizations typically do that pretty pretty well or they understand what it's going to be like to move from a 
dynamics to a sales force or from a you know an uh, org structure one way to an org structure the other way it's not easy but there's like some blueprints there i think change management around data and how you can move up the curve with data there i think is like really complex it's it's mm-hmm. there's a lot of different muscles that folks um you know almost don't realize i think you know we talk a lot about when you're when you're putting all that stitching all that data together to be able to then actualize it you're putting a huge spotlight on potentially a lot of upstream or other other issues within the organization that need to be addressed to in order to truly use your data as an asset, which I think is what you know what we're all talking about here is that data is the valuable asset that's going to drive the business or the process or the other pieces like that, and you know it, it is a different different element around uh, change management. And so you know, Francie and I know we've been in multiple discussions back in slalom days around change management and all, all the importance there, but. You know, there's probably a few coffees or wines to be had there uh, in terms of unpacking the solution to change management for data. Um, it's funny you were saying about like the you know back to basics and so forth. One, like you kind of hit something that I was thinking is, right, we can talk about the data side, right, operational analytics data coming together. And and to your point, the one of the things that so you know we always say, well, can't you just do this? Can't you just get me information about the customer? And so one of the, like no, we can't just because there's like there's complexities. And so the first layer is the data of ops and analytics coming together. But exactly what you said is the next layer is, you know, even if you think data mesh, whether it's a tech system that's distributed or teams that are distributed and that the whole concept of mesh is the autonomy, you can't give too much of that autonomy because then you're just recreating that issue of the of the same data accuracy across each of those autonomous systems and or teams. And then their potential divergence of op processes that give you data that you can rely on. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it seems like, you know, in that example of the mesh, the further you get into the mesh, the challenge of something happens is is almost even could be, be potentially worse that you're sharing mm-hmm. more out there that that uh, moment of or the uh, the difference between doing it great and doing it not so great uh, right. is even smaller. So you still need something that keeps the mesh within the web. Right. Yeah. I like this. I like this. We're going to pull this one. <laughs> you know, both of you touched on, you know, especially you, Aaron, you, you said something along the lines of, you know, when you access data that, you know, is, is within your organization, it, it seems like, you know, part of the, the set of challenges is, you know, you're accessing data and in many cases it's within your organization, but I, it looks like increasingly that data isn't in your organization. And so it's not, you know, access includes this notion of like permission, sharing, you know, cleanliness. I can't go back and like, to your point, Francine, and be like, hey, I'm going to tell my partner over here to go clean up their stuff. So it seems like that's a whole other smattering of complications. I'd love to hear, you know, what are the common problems you run into with customers as they want to, you know, access data, but it's it's actually not theirs. It's coming from some other set of partners, um, you know, any kind of you know, gotchas and then practices that you see the the best people doing as they as they walk through that set of problems. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's very common to not be a technical challenge that you're that you're facing. You can build the patterns, you can understand those pieces, but it it very much is around. I, I feel like there's a, a few things that we face a lot in in terms of how are you how are you defining and understanding the data? How are you going to be using that? What's the best way to bring that in? Because I think, I think, and Francine and I can attest from, from years past, you can land data very, very quickly. What are you going to do with it? And how do you put enough kind of uh, discussion about that upfront without boiling the ocean or going back to whatever water example that you want to have there. But, but again, you know, 
uh, understanding those those pieces there. And then and then I do think that there's an element here of like looking around the corner. What should you be thinking about out a few years from now? How do you think about those pieces? Like data privacy and preference centers um, and, and things like that are what we're talking about a lot in the sports space right now in terms of where did it, where did a fan enter into someone's web of understanding? Is that at the vendor level? Is that within the something that the organization ran itself? And then how can those all those little privacy policies actually stitch together to a whole kind of governance and controls that that need to happen there? But I guess, you know, Tim, going back to like, what's the secret sauce or the, the first step or the best practices there? I, you know, I, I do think that um, I, I, I think there's a there's a moment up front with the right kind of business leaders, business and tech leaders in, in place that need to sit down and really talk about what's the overall intent, what's important now, how to how to understand the baseline understanding of the data and get the right kind of initial privacy process governance pieces in place and at least set a pattern. Like we we, do, we talk a lot about patterns, like you're, you're never going to solve everything. Data is naturally always moving and is very imperfect. But what are the patterns that you're going to start to build with said vendor or other networks like that so that there's a common understanding about the overall use case, the overall intent? And then, and then again, that flows in terms of the foundation um, of the discussions that you can have. Uh, it's really interesting because 100% they need that common definition. And so with that, right, everyone has a common definition of what is it that we want to share and how do we share it and what rules do we allow? And so while people want to like kind of come to the table, if there's there's some trust, right, they want to work together and do so, but there's not complete trust right. in that network, right? They still each their own autonomous. And so the big issue in the space is how do you – how do you make sure that there's this like data network among these departments in which they still have full autonomy on their data, but they're all speaking the same language? Yeah, it's a it's a awesome challenge. I feel like there are moments each week, and and you all may have this too as you meet with customers that you have those ahas where oh this language is not the same, or we're not mm-hmm. actually talking the same language, or you're right. defining something as this, and you know how do you level the education that is out there around data in general both within organizations and universities like you know my uh, you know I, I know at the beginning we talked a little bit about ourselves but you know I was a computer science geek in high school computer engineering major like kind of came up through those pieces but you know that was like a long time ago so there's there's certain elements here that how do we broadly continue to raise the overall awareness and you know, it's just really interesting. And I think, I think I love like, I love some of the um, advancement that like um, technologies like blockchain and other pieces have like forced into the world. It's become a common vernacular around how to be securely, um, you know, sharing information, the contracts that you need to put in place, but like, how do we actually take some of those as interesting buzzwords and actually layer them into this intersection of operational analytical, especially when you're talking about outside of the organization, Tim, like you mentioned, it's not just about sharing internally, it's about sharing externally. Well, I want to dig into something you just said, Aaron, on like educating, you know, the, the, the customers that we work with and especially around kind of coming back to the, these two terms and ideas of the difference between operational and analytical data. You know, I, I've been in the the IT and the enterprise IT software space long enough that, you know, I remember the days of like OLAP and OLTP, which, you know, were really like bifurcated, you know, different markets and different sets of, of tooling to help people with their, you know, OLTP, like the transactional or as we're kind of talking, you know, I hear you two use the words like operational data and then the 
OLAP, like the OLAP, like the analytical. And, you know, one of the things we've kind of touched on is like these two worlds seem to be colliding. And so from an education perspective, the differences in analytical data versus operational, how much do do those differences matter to the people that, that, you know, you're working with and, and educate and, and how do you, how do you kind of walk them through to the degree that there's a difference, like how much does it does it matter, and, and what do they need to know about those differences? That's a that's a really a good question because if so, let's let's almost take our data hats off for a second. And if we're talking to anyone who wants to, I mean, right? How, how dare I? <laughs> if we're talking to anyone who's not in data, like my entire family, uh, and we say and talk about insights that you might want, and you say the word data, the thought of OLTP, OLA, I may as well be saying the alphabet. <laughs> right. Um, even the even saying operational, like what do you mean by that? And so even to have to say, well, you think these things, they they just think, hey, I want to do things and I want insights. It, it doesn't even matter that to deliver those insights, there might need to be a massive analytics infrastructure and data moving stops and starts between them. And so even if we as non-data people think about things, we think about them holistically. But the systems, because of, again, where we all came from and how you store data, they were very different and the access patterns were different and the development capabilities of teams were different. There's so many things that are reasons why they're separated. But if those technologies can start to collide, then the conversation and the, Aaron, to use other buzzwords in blockchain, like the consensus among business networks can collide, yeah. right? And then the team skill sets developing on them. And so then basically the systems and the data, the data stores, the people building on them, the business network collaboration can catch up with, you know, almost not to the the common person's dialect around, oh, hey, I just think of data as all one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And and I think you've made some really good points there, Francine. Like what, one of what I had in my head right out of the gate when Tim asked that question of like, does it does it really matter at the base level between analytical and operational from a true education standpoint? Because yes, there are nuances within there. But when we think about, I think where the education is falling down, it's around the operations, the controls, the ways of working, the processing, the, the things that are around data in general, whether it's a aggregated number of, 5% for a conversion rate or a uh, number of one for a whatever that might be from that data bit that's picked up from the CRM or something like that. I think at the end of the day, it's really around how do you how do you understand like the data for what? What are you going to use it for? How what is it what what should this be? What should it, what is it describing, whether it's an analytical number, or an operational number, and then what's important from the organization to both um, you know, keep master what's driving the underlying business model uh, from a data standpoint, and then what are the key kind of security infrastructure process governance controls that need to be need to be put in place. And I think I think we're just like lacking so much education around those pieces mm-hmm. um, that it's almost like the analytical versus operational kind of doesn't matter right now because there's mm-hmm. so much around the process and the people side that needs to elevate. And then it get then it gets real. It, yeah. I think if we could establish some of those just understandings at that level, just a respect for data as an asset and how that's looking, um, you know, then I think you can get some into some of the nuances too. So, you know, yeah, I, that's a that's a really good point because do you remember when back in the solemn days when we'd sell and people would say, you know, an example is 
conversion, or I want to look at my analytics of my pipeline velocity or, or something. And sure. we, I would joke and say, absolutely, let's select all from this really cool table that doesn't exist. Like, right. right, the data does not exist. The process doesn't exist. You don't right. even have a CRM. Like, we've so to your point, yeah, I'll understand these analytics and these insights. Mm-hmm. But the education of there's data and process and just commonality of of what is this information that you want to collect and the process for the accuracy of that information so that you can then answer these great questions and then make your process better. A hundred percent. Yes. Whether that's a calculated metric or a collection of data at the edge or a trigger of information that is put there, but what's the overall kind of process and the workflow? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, um, and then when we kind of expand that, right, if that process is across different networks, right. And like, vendor you know vendors or ticket mm-hmm. sellers or yeah. you know different data sources for credit history that that it's hard enough in the walls imagine across the walls of just even that process and language if you have a shared definition of of what it is that you want to share and, and just something that actually makes the data flow mm-hmm. and people have their autonomy I mean it just opens up the next set of questions that you have to answer right is obviously the business yeah. The thing that makes it hard, right? The business relationships and so forth. But mm-hmm. we can remove the tech side of it, then we can really focus on the value add of the business strategy. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like remove the noise, common yeah. noise. Yep. One of the kind of one of the perceptions I have that I'd love to either have the you know the two you like debunk, or if you say, hey, no, I think there's something there, then kind of give your insights on is that there's been a a, a lot of fascinating things happening in the analytical data space over the course of the last few years. You know, you have, you see, you know, vendors like Snowflake and Databricks are, you know, in, at least in kind of our tech circles or household names. And um, they're, you know, uh, it's a prowess in analytical data that many teams have really started to build. And as kind of, so like, I think the thing I'd love to have you, you know, kind of either, either debunk or say, hey, there may be something here is, it seems like there now will be the wave of um, that will kind of come alongside that, which is like now there's going to be this explosion of operational data. And so you have all these analytical people in a great spot to be like, hey, we can now extend our practice to include these other sorts of things. So the first thing I'd love to hear is like, is there anything like do you, do you kind of buy that? Um, it's kind of high level you know, impression. And if so, what can those folks do to kind of prepare or to start to take advantage of like what, what should be a wonderful opportunity to do really cool things over the course of the next five, seven, 10 years? Yeah, um, I, I love this question. <laughs> and, and I'm and I'm 100% with you in terms of you, you, in terms of the level of technology and innovation on the analytical side is so high, the almost like the funnel or the, the roadblock here, or, or wherever, whatever term you want to uh, put in is really like how much can that actually get to the operational side of, in terms of both collection as well as um, as well as activation. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting area in terms of where businesses are investing. So when if they're investing only in the strategy and analytics, um, the data tech space, but not in the sales, marketing, operations space, you know, there, it feels like a huge missed opportunity because the the investment needs to kind of be made in both areas of hey, we're, we're elevating our ability to see, to collect, identify, analyze, and activate data in a pretty rapid fashion. We need to have the business process, business applications, the sophistication within the functions itself to be able to actually take advantage of that. And I think, um, you know, it's almost like the, the rising tide rises all boats, like the boats all have to go together. You can't just have that from a, from an innovation standpoint. Now, 
it puts more pressure. And I think in a, in a fun and a good way um, that keeps uh, Francine and I on our toes in terms of how do you help the strategy analytics, that data tech uh, analytical side of the, the business actually articulate the benefits of the investment at the functions and the operational side. So how, how do you kind of paint that um, future state vision uh, in terms of where um, the the value of analytics can drive the overall business and not just a business decision, but really a business action and an activation. And then what are the true investments that are needed on the operational side? Yeah, Aaron, you, you said it perfectly. It's like the visual of the rising tides, uh, like with the data flowing and rising, right? That the, the business process that generates the data, the analytics that uses and trying to find trends in the data. And so, Tim, you're kind of hitting at Right. The analytics space has grown in its ability to churn through, right? It's made it really, really easy to go through the mass amounts of data that exist uh, in ways that it couldn't before. And so before it was just slow and you had to do a lot of different transformations and you had to store it in different ways. And the different formats that data might come in were actually a way that slowed things down. And so analytics has has made it to say like, okay, well, data is going to be in different forms. Like, let's figure this out. We can kind of handle bucket, right? We can handle buckets and parse through data that's in buckets. We can handle data that's in tables and rows and whatnot and go through it faster. But one of the issues that they had is the operational data was either slowing them down to Aaron's point, right? It, because it wasn't accurate or the it wasn't really coordinated. And so sure, you have this really powerful system that can turn through, but you know, the sales and marketing and the finance data wasn't actually all the same information or the data that you need from another company that you are trying to partner with isn't in your house or isn't even aligned and you guys aren't speaking the same language. And so how do you get that in? And so the analytics world is trying to make a bridge to the operational world by creating connectors. Hey, it's going to be easy for you to get the data in. Great. Like, so then now that's where the data lakes came. It's like, look, we've made it really, really easy for you to send us all your operational data. But it missed the mark. And what Aaron is hitting is you really actually need the strategy that says, we're going to speak the same language and we're going to actually share information across the ops and the analytics and our partners so that the analytics actually has timely, accurate, connected data to then have insights and then have them back in the process. A hundred percent. And one thing that you mentioned, Francine, is not only within the organization itself, but outside the organization. And so a lot of things that, uh, you know, a lot of pieces that we're thinking through with with our clients is like data collaboration. Um, how do you how do you actually formulate the right relationships in terms mm-hmm. of um, you know data movement, data fluidity between between organizations, and what does that actually look like? And very often it comes down to really articulating business value. So what is the value of my data as an organization to you, right. vendor? And what is yep. the value of your and what what value can you vendor? provide to us? And then how can we actually expand the pie together? And so, you know, it comes back to that, like, overall business strategy and other pieces like that. And, you know, we talk a lot around give, get, but again, this is, it's, it all starts to elevate into, okay, now the next piece is that those contracts need to be written in a different way to make sure that you have the right privacy and controls, but also the right measures to allow data flow in the right ways back and forth from organizations. And so that's a that's a really good point because if they're sharing data, right? They, they don't sharing like you don't want to share it one way. You want it to be mutually beneficial. So if they're giving data, they also need to give the you know data information back. And so how do you make sure that that back and forth, you know, bidirectional nature to it, is there um, with with like there's some trust, right? You have to have contracts in place, but there's you know they don't want to share it with everyone in that net. You know, like so you need 
agreement of who sees what alignment there and agreement of how you're going to use that. Like if they're going to use it again, you know, they've created a network and an agreement of how you're going to use this data for an, an aligned uh, mission. You have to make sure that they do so. Yeah. And it's interesting because what I was just thinking through Francine is like, whose job within an organization is that? Like, right. You know, I think very often it happens right now in isolated or if silos Mm -hmm. based off of the business use case or the need, but you know, is that the the next wave of you know? And I'm sure there's some you know really cool uh, innovative chief data officers and other pieces like that that are that are yep. stitching it all together. But it's like it's a marathon, not a journey, uh, not a sprint, I guess, uh, in terms of getting those pieces. And you know, are, are the right people actually coming together to make like an informed right. decision for today, but also for tomorrow, um, and and thinking right. around the corner. Because people people are sending data to and for, but if the if the businesses aren't strategically coming together. It's almost like we need a data UN across each different group to say, like, how do we collaborate together right. on this mission by sh- sending data to and from, but on the insights that we're going to generate and the experiences that we're going to do and how do we hold ourselves accountable, right, so we don't do bad or that there's not one bad actor who's using right. the data, you know, f- for harm or uh, against the mission that they're doing so together. Yeah, I hear in both of what you said, you know, you touched on, like, the operational and analytical data on the tech side are coming together. You know, Aaron, I love how you highlight like, hey, whose whose job is this? So, you know, there's, you know, it it's it's evident that it's still early days of like the coupling of these sorts of uh, two different data types. So assuming that there's more fluidity across those two boundaries or, you know, those boundaries over time, what sorts of doors do you think it will open for organizations? Lots think, of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go on, Francine. I don't know. Like one thing that comes to mind when when the ops and analytics start colliding is is the obvious, right? Like the obvious in terms of the stops and starts, the delays, the the layers of infrastructure that people are not focusing on the business value because they're focusing on just moving data to and from these systems and reconciling. So like some some of the obvious ones that we've all seen in terms of like total cost of ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we focus on the insights? But now, like, what what are those insights that people can start focusing on, and and when we've now removed that technical and team layers, right? You know, the different types of teams and processes and so forth, it almost feels like data becomes more of a natural dialogue, and so it becomes we can talk about data in the way that we think about anything else. Like we think about the fluidity of the, like we can talk about data in the way that non-data people might think of it as it's all just information. And so we can then start really thinking about experiences that feel more human as opposed to, well, like, hold on, I have my sales process and then I have my analytics over here, but it looks at sales process. And so we'll just almost like, feel more human. Yeah. And so it's like, um, I guess as you're explaining that, I'm thinking like it's adding like it's con- contextualizing the insights. It's adding the information. It's adding the other um, pieces that are required to take, again, that 5% conversion. Is that good? Is that bad? what are the levers that I can pull to actually drive that activation or uh, uh, increase in that? And then what is that impact going to look like mm-hmm. um, down the line and kind of raising the overall I like the vernacular or the common language, you know, from, um, from like a broader, like business model, uh, business architecture standpoint, like thinking about like customers, products and services, operation strategy, you know, for, for us, like, you know, customers like deeper understanding, deeper engagement, um, you know, the relationships they can build, the getting the right product at the right time to the right customer and doing that in a in a way that seems authentic uh, to whatever that mission is for the organization. 
you know, from a products and services standpoint, like being able to make more nimble decisions on like what, what product is right, what service is right, when, when, is, <laughs> when is the cost per acquisition for a particular product just like out, outsized and, and you need to move on and helping to inform some of those decisions and not feeling like, you know, this is a finger pointing game, but this is a data informed information of how you're going to actually translate that into the business side. You know, and I think operation stuff um, really speaks to itself in terms of efficiencies and and, and other pieces like that, where you can, you know, start to really move the move the dial and move the levers um, in terms of bringing the the worlds together. But yeah, I think it's 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 pretty exciting, and I think you know, uh, just thinking about the world as a even a consumer or outside of an organization, so not necessarily in, as a consultant or a service provider or product, but as a consumer, like that just. I, I see the future of it just feeling better. It feeling like more authentic, less hassle, less noise, you know, uh, you know, that I don't need to give you so much more about myself, but the organization's actually doing a better job of connecting it so that it is a, a, a less hassle. And, you know, there's enough noise in the world. Let's, let's use data to actually calm some of that so that the real things can, can take place. And it's funny because, you know, obviously, Aaron, we've we've solved the art of the possible, especially you know both in our current roles and what at slalom, sure. um, but also like I can't help but think about back you know fingers to keyboard. I, you know I came in the coding world, and so these art of the possible really really like awesome things that I think are going to open up. And one of the things we kind of talked about back to basics that I don't think will ever go away is this like, 101. We've got to describe the entities like you know what is a customer, what is the product, uh, what is an employee. And once we get these, like, I guess, nouns was the entities in the non-data world, um, once we define these nouns appropriately and, you know, a common language across everyone of what this noun is, then all the other things that come off of the noun, all the verbs and events and activities can come through. And so I, I can't help but always go back to basics of, like, we've just got to have the same definition of noun. You know, Francine, you mentioned just the notion of like the art of the possible. And so in kind of the final question as we start to wrap up is, as it relates to the art of the possible, if each of you could get anything you wanted in the next, let's keep the time frame kind of short, six to 12 months or so, that would help unlock something in this data sharing space as you work with customers, what would it be? I think I kind of hit on it, but I I, th- I think that there's this, um, I think there's this concept and I, I don't know the right word and I know someone much better uh, at branding is going to come up with a much better word, but this like data UN where these these people come together and figure out, right? Uh, we know that data between the walls of a company is hard, right? It, and by 100%, each company struggles with it. And it's something that there's a ton of tools and processes and procedures to do so and approaches. Um, and we'll continue trying to solve that as people fix their processes and evolve them over time. Um, but the, I think I think the next thing Right as we keep doing that, we're we're going to always have to put away our laundry. Right, our laundry is always going to be there. It's going to be continuous. But I think the next thing is this data across companies and this concept of this like UN where companies have to kind of work together for a shared goal, but some guidelines that kind of keep them in line to do so. Interesting. Yeah, like I mean, I, I've I've heard the term like data alliance from some folks kind of popping around. That sounds really similar to to kind of this vision you have. Yeah, that's a better word. Um. It, Aaron, what were you? Yeah, I was just gonna, I was gonna build on um, a little bit what Francine uh, was saying, and then uh, then I'll answer the question. But uh, the, but the build on is like, you know, historically, like when we think about setting up data organizations, there's 
traditionally a few different models. There's not an infinite amount of models. It's a centralized model. It's a decentralized model. And then it's a hybrid model. And typically when we enter organizations, it's, uh, or back in the days of slalom, it's super decentralized. Everything is running all over the place, wild, wild west. Um, Sometimes there's that gut feel of, okay, centralize first and then control but the control is never giving the right information out at the right time to everybody, especially as the organization matures. And it's like, and to, to your point around that data, data UN or that data alliance, it's like, what is the new hybrid model between businesses and process and vendor management and all those pieces that is like the best practice, the blueprint of how organizations should be thinking about data um, on a on a day to day basis. And it's like, you know, history can show show and teach us a lot around how some of these pretty complex situations might be able to actually have some patterns that are that are there now not saying it's easy but it's just an interesting piece to to pull on and you know i think from just to answer the question in terms of uh you know the next 6 to 12 months and and how to how to unlock and make it maybe more bulletproof and less scary for organizations and and open that up i think i've got to double down on like the the security the governance the control like those pieces there i think we Especially in the in the sports space, there's a lot of talk around um, data security, data privacy, and other pieces like that. Like to me, like 100%, those are absolutely forefront, both for Kager but for the for the industry. We got to be able to break that down though into bite-sized chunks that can be configured, controlled, other pieces like beyond just the don't send anything. It's a, how do we actually send this in the right way? What are the right governance and controls that need to be in place? And I guess it's kind of tangentially related to that data UN. What are the right blueprints? What's the, you know, there's a lot of pieces out there in terms of either legal policies or um, other pieces like that. No one has really stepped in and solved, like, here's a couple ways that this thing can actually happen. And I think organizations, there are some organizations that that I'm sure are doing it um, are doing it better than others. Like, how can we actually learn and establish those pieces? And again, mm-hmm. that it dovetails back to what we were talking on the education. Like, the more information and the more impact and use cases that we can have around this whole process um, controls perspective would be like so fantastic. I think for all organizations and particularly in the sports space and and in really making sure that they're protecting um you know all assets and from a data perspective we need a, a model alliance to to start practicing it with the youth <laughs> <laughs> well it's like it's like the uh modern day like uh debate club or or yes. whatnot it's like it's like <laughs> we should be injecting that francine like what's the what's the yes. next like uh data governance uh the data uh data sharing um perspective. I mean, hey, there's probably some really cool ideas down there uh, in, in in the youth of right. whatever, whatever apps are being used. I'm certainly not cool uh, to be using all of them, uh, though I am a technology lover, but I'm sure there's some really interesting insights that uh, some creative minds could put together on how to solve this problem. And they don't have the weight of, of the systems and processes and nomenclature. They could just think, well, why would I, ha- why would I have to wait? And so right. Right. There's some, there could be something really cool there. Next, next podcast, Tim. Yeah. Um, well, thanks to you both. I, I appreciate uh, not only your time, but just you both sharing your expertise with uh, with our listeners. So um, thanks to both you, Aaron Kelly, Francine Klein, for all the real talk on real-time data sharing. I appreciate it. Thanks so much to our guests, Aaron and Francine, for all the real talk on real-time data sharing. And thank you too for listening in. If you're interested in learning more about the various organizations, products, or research mentioned in any of our episodes, 
visit vendia.com forward slash podcast for all the links. When you're ready to keep the conversation going, download or stream all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, and any of the top streaming services. If you have a point of view on the challenges, power, and potential of real-time data sharing and you want to be a guest on Circles of Trust, DM us at VendiaHQ on Twitter and mention Circles of Trust. Thanks again for joining us. If you like what you hear, take a moment, drop us a few stars and a favorable review, or share Circles of Trust with your colleagues and network. Until next time.